When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. In today's show, I interview Sarah. Sarah is a birth photographer and doula. Sarah was actually one of the people who was at my birth. Sarah's journey to parenthood was one of intentional solo mothering, and her story is all the more interesting as she gave birth in the USA while working in LA. One thing I'll probably just mention before we go into this episode is that Sarah and I met and had a cup of tea in my kitchen, um, so you will probably be able to hear the odd bit of background noise, such as my dog walking around, um, the boiler kicking in, and as always, the bin lorry going past the window. Um, so yeah, the audio isn't the best, but we had a lovely cup of tea at the kitchen table, and that's what it's all about. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Sarah's story is just brilliant to listen to, and um, she just speaks about the birth of her son with such passion, and you can just really see why she is so good at her job. So I will be linking to Sarah's work, um, chiefly her Instagram and her website, both on my social media channels and on my website, because some of her photographs are just absolutely breathtaking. And you might even see a picture of me having my baby on there. Um, feel really proud and privileged that she is one of the very few people in the world who can really understand my birth story. So yeah, Sarah has definitely become a friend as well as somebody who I wholeheartedly recommend to work with if you are local and looking to find a doula or a photographer or somebody just to support you in your birth choices. Here we go with Sarah's episode. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming and talking to me about your birth. Um, just before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Yeah, so first of all, I'm really, really excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, but I'm Sarah. I am a birth and postnatal doula and a birth photographer. I live in Caution with my fiancé and my three children. I've got one biological son and I've got two stepchildren. Sounds like a busy house. So if you're happy to briefly just mention what kind of becoming pregnant looked like for you in, in the early days of your pregnancy. Yes, I am a single mother by choice. My son Ozzy was born in Los Angeles and it was an unexpected pregnancy. It was amazing and really a, a pretty easy pregnancy. I didn't have any kind of complications. Um, but there were, in becoming a single mother by choice, there were 
added, not complications, but there were added stresses to my pregnancy. Um, my son, Ozzy, as I said, was born in Los Angeles. So the cost of having him was mm. through the roof. It cost me $20,000 uh, to have Ozzy. That was because I made a choice to have a um, home birth and that was with an independent midwife. But yeah, that was that was probably one of the, the biggest stresses of kind of like the journey into pregnancy and one of the unforeseen kind of stresses that the kind of cost of taking that on by myself as a single mother at the cost of having him. Wow. Um, and did you find that the healthcare system in America was a bit of a shock after maybe having grown up in the UK? Or To be perfect, Jensi, though, I really didn't kind of have any insight into the medical system in, in America. Right. I hadn't used it prior to becoming pregnant. I hadn't needed to. I was relatively healthy, so therefore I didn't really need to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, call upon the medical system at all. Um, it was simply when I became pregnant and kind of having to look into my choices surrounding that. The other thing was is that it's um, under a insurance system over there. So looking at the kind of cost of having a baby over there it is really really expensive whichever mm-hmm. you know avenue you decide to take but for myself um, it didn't feel like hospital was ever kind of an appropriate decision for me mm-hmm. I was always going to have a home birth so for you it was always going to be a home birth it was always going to be a home birth one of my best friends a year before had had a home birth and she had a really amazing experience so for me I just never considered or thought that it was a choice that I'd be going into hospital it never kind of came into my thought process that I would have a baby in hospital so it was always yeah it was always going to be a home birth for me so that leads quite nicely I was going to ask you what your preconceived ideas were about birth before you had Aussie so what what was your kind of background in in birth had you been exposed to a lot of birth in your life or was it something that just wasn't talked about do you know yeah so that's a good question so I think I wasn't necessarily exposed to birth itself but prior to kind of getting pregnant with Aussie and in my kind of um, work life before I was a professional nanny so interestingly I was always aware of kind of babies being born but not necessarily aware of the journey that mothers took into kind of that you know having the babies it wasn't so much of an interest it was like oh great there's a baby here you know and that was my kind of work and then living in Los Angeles so I went out there as a nanny and then when I got there I became a spin instructor and a yoga instructor so my kind of interest switched to kind of like the physiology of women so then kind of you know there was some interest in in birth before before having Aussie Um, but yeah I think I'd always kind of believed that if I'd had a baby it'd be born at home I always thought that it would be kind of down that avenue I hadn't ever thought that it would be a particularly medical route or option I think that was simply because of my lifestyle was you know quite healthy I enjoyed working out I never really took you know pharmaceutical medicines it was always kind of looking for an eastern option versus a western option so kind of when you know considering birth I think it was always going to be the avenue of considering a home birth you know when I had a baby. Hmm. And did you do anything in particular to prepare for your birth? Yes, I did. (laughs) I really, when I found out that, you know, I was going to be having a baby, I really dived into that, you know, that that role of kind of exploring and figuring out and what it was. And I took um, a home birth class, particularly with um, an amazing woman in Los Angeles called Kimberly Durden. She's a midwife, but she ran at the time home birth classes. And it was specifically designed and designated to help you understand what a home birth could look like as a parent you know as opposed to kind of a hospital birth or you know a more medicalized birth so and again in America you know you the majority of births are 
in a hospital. They are with the use of an epidural. They are, you know, with your obstetric doctor. They're definitely not with midwives. They are not midwife-led births. So um, it was really important that I really understood what a home birth kind of looked like. Um, I interviewed independent midwives because I needed to hire an independent midwife to have Aussie. I found an amazing midwife called Heather, who to this day I think is an absolute angel and I adore. <laughs> um, yeah, I continued to exercise. Exercise, as I said, prior to kind of getting pregnant with Aussie was was huge and I continued to do that throughout my pregnancy and um, and I guess the other thing I did was kind of carve out a really good birth team for myself so being a single mother by choice I didn't have a partner that was stepping into it with me however I was living with my best friend at the time and she very quickly took on that role of birthing partner she came to the home birth classes with me she helped me prepare she interviewed midwives and I took on a doula <laughs> and it that sounds was like your friend thing. was was doulaing as well she definitely so. was doulaing and it was a huge role for her she was a very um busy businesswoman and um she wasn't dating anybody at the time so to kind of be thrown into your best friend who was living with you <laughs> as having a baby and now guess what you get to be a birth partner was a big role for her but she definitely stepped into it with joy and was happy to kind of walk that line with me oh that's lovely I never even kind of like I guess when I think back on it I didn't even say to Meg like hey would it be okay if I had a home birth mm. I just was like I'm gonna have the baby at home and she was like oh okay <laughs> righto fine <laughs> she yeah she didn't you know god love her she never questioned it so how did you go into labour if you're happy to crack on with you know go for it Let's tell us your birth story I love my birth story and um Particularly, I love the beginning to my birth story. So I was 10 days post-date, although I kind of feel Ozzy was perfectly timed and when he was supposed to come. But in Los Angeles, there's a place uh, where you can go and get this salad in the valley. I've heard about the salad. <laughs> yes. You have <laughs> nine days post day I pile my mum into the car and we're gonna go and get salad in the valley all right Sarah so we go drive across to the valley to go and have this salad and as it and when I got there it's like a really rinky dink restaurant nothing special but you definitely kind of pictures of you know people having salad in the valley and going into labor afterwards so we're sat there and I'm having this salad and as I'd mentioned I was like pretty healthy eating at the time anyway and I'm eating it and, you know, of course, nothing happened. But as the story goes, it's apparently that it's, they put castor oil in the dressing. And that is why salad in the valley makes you go into labour. Because, as we know, castor oil mm. is, you know, known to induce women into labour. So that was, you know, nine days post-date, I go and have salad in the valley. Get home, nothing's happened. Day 10, post-date, one of my very, very best friends, Sarah, she, at the time, was working for an A-list celebrity in Los Angeles. Um, I, I said to her, you know, I'm going to be sharing my birth story, and she said, please don't share the name, so I wish I could. <laughs> However, it, I, it's a very well-known A-list celebrity. Um, I also knew her particularly well, and she had been asking Sarah, like, hey, how's Sarah doing? You know, Sarah said, well, you know, she's, she's 10 days post-date. And um, she's like, well, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to organise um, a chiropractor to come to the house, and Sarah can come here. Uh, said chiropractor was meant to have worked with again all these kind of like A-list celebrities and when I met him his name is Dr. Joshan and when I met him over at the house he the first thing he says to me is oh I was with Penelope Cruz last week and I <laughs> I helped her go into labor and I'm looking at this guy going you gotta be kidding me like sure fine like help me go into labor <laughs> So he he has me, uh, by the way, also it's like the height of the summer in Los Angeles. It was really hot. And I made a decision to go there in a stretchy dress. Okay, so I'm going there in a stretchy dress. 
and he then kind of like starts doing you know talking to me and he's like first of all we need to kind of you know we need to really tune in to to asking this baby to come into the world so what I want you to do is to put your hands on your tummy and I want you to lunge up and down the hall saying out with the baby (laughs) so there I am with my hands on my belly doing lunges in a dress at 40 plus weeks pregnant saying out with the baby to which my mum and my best friend are sniggering behind their hands, you know, thinking like, what is this guy? You know, he's telling me he's helping Penelope Cruz's baby come into the world and he's having me march up and down, singing out with the baby. There is some really good videos of this, which I hope to show Ozzy when he's a little bit older. So fast forward, he's kind of had me doing this. So he then gets me onto um, a bed, a chiropractic bed, and he does his kind of magic and there's massive clicks and clunks. And he's like, that's it. You know, let me know how it goes. And I'm like, okay. So my mum and I pile back in the car. We're driving along the PCH. So it's the Pacific Coast Highway from Malibu back to uh, Venice, where I'm living at the time. And as I'm driving along, I start to feel these twinges and... I'm not saying anything to my mum, but I'm like, holy cow, has, is, this, is this really happening? So driving home, driving home, that was about four o'clock in the afternoon. By 5.30, I'm definitely getting regular surges. I know that this is it, you know, things are happening, but it's all going to be, you know, like, I can't believe this guy has managed to kind of get me to go into labour, you know, with his kind of out with the baby. So I messaged my doula and I messaged my midwife and I was like, hey, I think things are happening, you know, just to kind of give you a heads up. My midwife's like, great, no worries. You know, just give me a call back if, you know, if you think things are picking up. And my doula turns around and says to me, fantastic. I want you to ignore everything you're feeling now. That's my, that's my advice to you, Sarah. Just pretend you're not in labor. I want you to ignore everything. And I was like, okay. And she's like, go and pour yourself a large glass of wine and have a bath. And I was like, okay, fine. So, (laughs) so I do exactly this as I'm kind of instructed. And, uh, we put a movie on. And as I said, like, as I mentioned before, Megan, my, um, my birth partner had kind of, you know, she was super excited and we'd made all these lists of kind of things to do in early labor, which included doing a puzzle. I mean, like never going to do a puzzle, but she wanted to do a puzzle and we put a movie on and things just kind of gradually progressed and they definitely were kind of getting stronger. And as I said, that started about 5.30 in the afternoon on the Saturday. So we have dinner, everything's going great. We all go to bed and both Megan and my mum had said to me, you know, just kind of like wake us up if anything more is happening. I was like, okay, we'll do. But through all of my kind of learning and understanding, and I'd also done my kind of like doula training at this point in time, I was kind of telling myself it's early labour, I need to go to sleep, everything is well. So I did that. I kind of followed my own advice and followed my doula's advice. Went to bed, <clears throat> definitely was kind of having surges through the night and was trying to kind of rest between them, but they were they were coming and they were coming pretty thick and fast. By about three o'clock in the morning, I could no longer lay down. It was just, it was way too much. So I woke up, I went into the kitchen and I poured myself another glass of wine. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, telling myself, well, my doula had told me, you know, and that was several hours ago, so I should probably have another glass of wine at this point in time. So, and when I close my eyes and think about it, I have this very vivid memory of kind of having these really thick and fast kind of surges but like sipping this massive glass of wine and like it's fine I can do this you know so things kind of progress I again didn't wake anybody up got to about six o'clock in the morning and Megan woke up and she came into the lounge to kind of find me you know writhing around you know and kind of working through it she's like how are you doing I was like I'm doing great she's like I'm thinking about going for a run and going to yoga and I was great go (laughs) you should totally do that I'm just still in the early stages of labor although internally on reflection I definitely knew that things were kind of progressing and they were moving 
around about 7 a.m. My mum makes up and again, same questions like, how are you doing? I was like, I'm doing great. Megan's gone off for a run. I'll let her know if things are kind of, you know, moving forward and progressing. Um, I also let my doula know like, hey, you know, timings are you know about this you know I think things are kind of progressing forward so fast forward on to about kind of about half past eight in the morning and I realized like oh god like things things are really moving I should probably have Megan come back here so I text Megan in the middle of her yoga class like Megan you're gonna have to come back and she's like great shall I shall I stop at the, the grocery store or should I just kind of come back and, she, and I remember being like no we don't need any food it's fine you can come back but again one of our kind of like early labor activities quote unquote was to make food and make a birthday cake for the baby <laughs> you know so those are things which we thought we were going to do but I was like no it's fine just kind of you know come back come back it's you know we'll you know we'll, we'll, we'll see how things go about 9 a.m oh in between this as well so between Megan coming home and my doula arriving about 9 a.m again because we were in Los Angeles we had this beautiful garden and I thought it'd be a great idea to put the garden furniture out for people because <laughs> maybe maybe things would take a long time and maybe that they would want to sit out in the garden so my mum I remember very vividly being like Sarah will you stop putting the garden furniture out and I was like that's fine I'm just gonna put the cushions out but again every kind of time I like lifted a cushion I had to kind of like lean over and lean on a piece of furniture and like you know like things are kind of picking up about 9am my doula arrived and she was also my birth photographer as well so she kind of piled into the house and you know she was like how things going I was like they're going great with this um she pulled out a tens machine which was amazing and she kind of put it on at that point in time and she gave Megan some directions of kind of like you know you could try doing this this may help her and kind of you know help get her comfortable so we kind of had the music on that's the other thing I should point out is that uh, with, when Rebecca arrived, the music was so loud in our house. It was like a party. And as Rebecca walked through the door, I remember turning to her and crying and being like, I'm having a baby. <laughs> and she was like, yes, yes, you're having a baby, Sarah. So, you know, this continued. And I think Rebecca, my dealer, very quickly realized that things were far more established than she thought she was potentially going to be walking into. And she, I remember her kind of like having conversations with Megan quietly, like, have you guys rang Heather? Like, does Heather know things are progressing? And I don't think I'd called Heather at that point in time. So Rebecca very quickly, um, I'm told, gets on the phone to Heather and is like, how far away are you? How far away are you? Things are progressing. Heather thankfully didn't live very far away. It was a good kind of sociable time in the morning. So she'd probably had her coffee and her breakfast and was kind of, you know, made her way over. So she comes and, you know, unloads a ton of stuff into the house. And I'm pretty in my own world at this point in time. Like I had no idea what was kind of going on around me. Um, I was having a really good time though. I remember between surges laughing and joking. Um, I've got a really good appetite. So between them, I remember being like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. Will someone please give me some food? So they were feeding me kind of like crisps and hummus, you know, so... Um, that was kind of continuing happening about 10 a.m. I think I decided that like a shower felt like a good idea. So tens machine came off, got into the shower and was kind of leaning up against the wall and um, having some like really lovely surges in there. Uh, whilst I was in there, it, it definitely felt like things kind of like picked up and had intensified. So after getting out of the shower, my uh, midwife Heather was like, how do you feel about an examination? And it had always been in my birthing preferences just to kind of see how things were going. But I think internally, I was just feeling like things had really picked up. So therefore I just was curious more than anything, you know, like, God, how much, you know, where's my expectation setting on this one? I probably need to know how things are going. So we kind of trampled into my bedroom. She did an examination and I was nine centimeters. <laughs> 
So I think that was like really reassuring. But again, I kind of made a decision that I didn't want to know a number. And she had told my doula, Rebecca. And I remember just kind of very, really like, but Rebecca saying, you know, like, do you want to know? And immediately, yes, yes, I want to know like how far I am. She's like, you're nine centimeters. And uh, frantically in the background, I hear them trying to blow up a pool and trying to get a hose attached. And I remember Megan going like, I can't get the hose on. And me shouting from the bedroom, put it on the top of the bloody shower. Like trying to give her directions of how to get the hose onto, you know, to get into the birth pool. With that, my waters went as well. So there was a very loud and like for myself anyway, like audible, like pop. And like my waters kind of had went and there was this big gush. So then they kind of get me back through to um, our like living room and kitchen area. So I had in late in my pregnancy tested positive to strep B. And for me, I'd made the decision that I would go ahead and have the antibiotics simply because in the States and with an independent midwife, you can have antibiotics at home. I know here in the UK, it's not a possibility if you want a home birth or a birthing center birth to go ahead and have um, antibiotics. But because I was able to do so and it wasn't going to alter my kind of birth plan, I made a decision that, you know, I was okay to have um, a round of antibiotics. Again, in hindsight, I think my midwife would have liked to have known but you know ahead of where I was because they'd like you to have two rounds of, of antibiotics and they certainly would like to know that at least one round has gone through mum through the placenta and made some kind of impact on baby but given that I was nine centimeters and the things were progressing really quickly again in hindsight I'm not entirely sure how much of kind of like the antibiotics made their way through me however they kind of put the um, IV line in and again because we were at home there was nowhere to hang an IV bag. So there's a picture in my birth story of my mum holding up a bag of IV (laughs) and me kind of in the kitchen, you know, with this line of kind of like IV going around. But again, at that point, I decided I was really hungry and I needed to eat. So (laughs) again, a great picture of Megan feeding me crisps and uh, my mum holding an IV line. And I guess in the background, Rebecca, like frantically trying to get this kind of birth pool up. Um, So with the kind of like IV round gone through me, I started to feel this overwhelming sensation of Aussie bearing down. I mean, it was like nothing else. And I could feel his head kind of like hitting my pelvic floor. I could feel like I wanted to push. But because they were still trying to kind of like get everything ready, I remember Heather being like, don't push. It's not time to push right now. You know, like it's not time to push. So I don't know if she just thought that maybe I kind of like the last bit of cervix hadn't moved out of the way or they just quite weren't ready for me to kind of, you know, to be to be kind of, you know, starting to push Aussie. So with that, I kind of, you know, the pool had got ready and I got into the pool and it was the most amazing thing. I I mean, like really, if I close my eyes, I can remember how amazing it felt to get into the water. It was just insane kind of you know how amazing it was and apparently and again I don't remember but I was kind of like passing out between kind of between surges and was fast asleep and uh Megan apparently turned to kind of Rebecca and was like is she okay she thought that like I was dying or something you know she was really concerned for my health at this point in time and uh so I get into the pool and very quickly again things kind of changed and that that overwhelming sensation of kind of needing to kind of bear down and, and, and push just became bigger and bigger and bigger uh yeah and then from there it was just very quick after that the kind of a few you know the I, I remember as well kind of being like in an all fours and bent over the pool and my midwife saying to me like do you feel any stinging do you feel because I guess she couldn't see at that point in time as well like kind of what was happening she's like do you feel any stinging do you feel like uh, and I was like I don't know I don't know you know it just kind of felt quite overwhelming the sensations that I was feeling anyway she flipped me over onto my back and she had a look and she could see Ozzy's head was kind of crowning there um I think I gave like three or four big pushes in his head and his head was was born um 
And I have this very, uh, very, very, very vivid memory of kind of like looking down and seeing his head being born and looking at my mum and looking at uh, Meg and holding their hands for dear life and being like, oh my God, like this kid is between worlds. That was like this, over, like just kind of remembering, looking at him going like, oh my God, he, he's he's halfway between worlds. Um, again, another surge came, big push and he was born and he was... Um, he was born well, he was healthy, he um, definitely had a little bit of trouble breathing initially, he was, um, but again, I think that was because, again, on reflection and knowing what I know now, that he was maybe a little bit stunned, he just didn't know he'd been born, he was very quiet, he didn't give a big cry, there was, um, Rebe uh, Rebecca and didn't look phased at all, and neither did my midwife Heather, she, you know, I think she was feeling that he had a good heart rate, but there was definitely trying to get some stimulation out of him, and then he kind of gave a few breaths, and he was absolutely fine, but he was pretty chilled, he never really cried, he never really you know gave that big rah, you know yeah. he was just here and pretty chilled and and in the world and that was it and he was here and it was just incredible and amazing and yeah it was very positive and I feel grateful entirely grateful that I you know was able to have the birth I so desired and wanted and that he was born well and healthy and I had a really good team around me as well that I was entirely grateful for that and that moment I remember being filled with gratitude for for Heather particularly because she was just so um, amazing you know she she never really faltered in her care for me she was super calm and she was just you know quietly there and Rebecca as well I remember looking up and just looking at Rebecca and as I said holding Megan and my mum's hand and just being like holy shit what just happened you know he just had a baby <laughs> um but yeah that was it and he and he was he was born oh and so he came did he come straight to your chest and he was after or did they have to did they take him to do no. any of that stimulation or was that all quite close to you yeah so again her heather's practice was and we had talked about this kind of antenatally if he if he needed any help and support that would try to be done at, at my chest they would try to leave his placenta intact they would try to, so that he could have that good oxygenated blood um so he everything was done at me he was kind of you know just rubbed he wasn't ever given any kind of like air or anything like that but just kind of you know a good amount of stimulation to try to encourage him to take a breath or just to show us that he knew he'd been been born but yeah everything was uh yeah at my chest and how was that next stage for you for um birthing your placenta and that's that sort of thing how did that go yeah it was pretty good I remember feeling quite cold in the pool and wanting to get out um of the pool quite quickly so we got out of the pool and again I didn't realize that there's been this like beautiful setup of like a airbed with sheets covered and pillows in my kitchen you know which had seamlessly happened of my mum and, and uh, Megan whilst I'd given birth and didn't realize but hopped out of the pool and hopped onto um the airbed where they'd kind of set it up in the kitchen. I don't remember exactly how long it took, but I didn't have, I had a physiological birth of my placenta and it was definitely within an hour. Um, and yeah, it went went pretty smoothly and um, yeah, there was no kind of complications with it. I did have a good amount of um, tearing and I needed some stitches, but everything was uh, you know able to be done at home. And I think I was just overjoyed with Aussie being here. I didn't really realize. Um, how many stitches I needed but I think again on reflection yeah <laughs> it, it was quite a few but yeah it, everything was everything was well yeah and was was he I mean I use quote unquote big baby small baby how he was bang in the middle he was seven two which is interesting actually because I, do, I think I missed that a bit out of kind of like my pregnancy although it was uncomplicated and uh easy and you know everything was was well there was a point in my pregnancy so although I had my independent midwife Heather who did all my antenatal care within the states you are still legally bound to have a certain number of scans and to kind of have some obstetric care there so I was you know needed to do that well I think I say I was legally bound I think Heather my midwife was legally bound to have some type of obstetric care that wasn't just her care in my pregnancy and I think towards about 30 weeks I'd had a scan and the um 
OB doctor who was looking after me had pulled up, oh, you've got a small baby. You've got a tiny baby at this point in time. And I just didn't genuinely feel like I had a tiny baby again, but I was kind of healthy and working out. So I was like, oh, maybe I just need to kind of like slow, slow my life down. I was also working full time. I was studying full time, you know, I had a busy life. Um, but that kind of waterfalled into a, 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 a kind of like lots and lots of scans and many more than I probably wanted. And on reflection, I wonder whether it was... Um, it sounds cynical to say it, but I wonder if it was due to finances that, you know, like once I'd had one, it was another, you know, it's a money making, but mm. you know, babies is a money making scheme to some extent in the US. Um, and anyway, I think I realized actually, you know, I don't feel like he's, he's small. So I spoke to Heather and she said, well, you know, why don't we switch um, OBs and see if you get a different one? And I actually came into the care of Dr. Stuart Fishbein. And I'm not sure I if you've heard him. of him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know him, but <laughs> I wish. Um, yes, I know of him. Yeah, yeah. so Dr. Stu became my OB. So if I needed a hospital birth or I needed um, an OB at my home birth, if there was any complications, he would be it. And I'm so thankful that he that I was under his care and under his umbrella because he very quickly made me realise I didn't have a small baby. He was fine. And, you know, he had said to me, we just need to get to X amount of, of, of what his predicted weight would be. And you're fine for a home birth. And he reassured me he's fine he's fine but the whole way through the end like the latter end of my pregnancy I thought I was having this like teeny tiny baby and that you know uh, everything wasn't going to be well and then yeah he was well at seven two those words can sit so heavy with you as well if you're you know having any sort of anxieties in your pregnancy it's yeah it can be it can be really frightening and yeah am I am I right in thinking so Dr Stu does he does like breech births yes. and he does home breech births yes. Yes. And he does twin births yes. well twin A is you know, head down yep. to be his breach. Yeah, yeah. He's just a bit of a. Well, it would just be lovely if all all OBs were like him. Wouldn't it? He's just a little bit rogue, and I think he is just one of the the. You know, he's an OB who sees women for women centered care. He listened to me. He knew that a home birth was really important to me, and he he never faltered in that. You know, he didn't have me come in for extra scans. He, you know, he got to a point and was like, "You're fine. I don't need to see you again." You know, so it was just really reassuring to have him 100% on my side. But yeah, he's great. And he actually turned into a friend afterwards. And he's oh. just, yeah, he's an awesome dude. So that's amazing. Well, I, yeah, that's so exciting. I have no idea. It's a lebo. Um, that's amazing. Um, so obviously that's, you know, that's a lovely, a lovely moment for you with like all your, your team around you. Mm. And it must've been like complete mm. kind of like woman power in mm. the room there. Did you know you were having a boy? Or? I did. I, yeah. yeah. I know. And, you know, hats off to, to families who do not find out what they're having. But for me, it was just super important to find out who this little person was in my yeah. belly so that I could connect to them. I think also given that I was going through it kind of, you know, as a single mum, it was just super important to me just to be able to kind of have that uh, identification of who who I was going to be meeting on the other side so that I could I could prepare. So, yeah, I did know I was having a little boy. And in all honesty, I would have been so surprised if they'd turned around and been having a girl. I, I think I just knew um, I was having a little boy. Yeah. <laughs> so how was uh how was postpartum for you obviously postpartum was forever yeah but that, kind of, that kind of initial you know few months how did you find that yeah I think that I had planned and prepared and been so well um yeah prepared for kind of my my birth and my labor super naively I thought I was going back to work two weeks postpartum <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a big gulf and it's a big kind of, you know, what was I thinking? But the main drive was me was financial. 
you know, there's no um, maternity pay in in the States, especially because, you know, of the work that I was doing at that point in time, I was, you know, privately um, employed. They weren't, it wasn't through a big company and there was no maternity leave. And I just kind of, yeah, just even knowing what I knew, I just thought I was going to be okay after two weeks. Mm. So I had discussed it with my employers, you know, I'm going to take two weeks off and I'm feeling great, then I'll come back again. And uh, so that was kind of like the first naive thing. And again, you know, not to harp on about being a single mum, but I was kind of going into it by myself. And my mum lovingly stayed with me 10 days postpartum, but she needed to return to back to the UK. And those 10 days of having her at home was incredible. She was um, she was like the best postnatal dealer that you could ever wish for. She changed the sheets. She bought me food. She, you know, she was amazing. But I had, I mean... But I also didn't leave the house. So in the States as well, when you have your kind of like uh, newborn checks, you can pay for your uh, pediatric doctor to come to your house. And I had made that decision that financially it felt like it was worth kind of doing that. So we didn't really leave the house, I think, until like eight or nine days postpartum. So I think that that was great. And we had lots of kind of like food delivery. So to a certain extent, although I say I was naive, I think there was parts in which I had planned and prepared. We had cooked food to go in the freezer. We had set up a meal train for kind of people to, to bring stuff around to us and just kind of drop it on the doorsteps. I was really careful about the amount of uh, visitors I had in. I had next next to none in, just kind of immediate friends and you know people that I considered to be family at that point in time. Um, breastfeeding was established and it went it went pretty well. But then I got to kind of like day two and started to have a kind of like nervous wobbles of like is everything going well? So I had um, Kimberly Durden, who I previously mentioned, she's a lactation consultant as well as a, a midwife, come around and just kind of check in with us. And she's like, yeah, you're fine. So it was great to have that kind of reassurance. But post two weeks, when the you know the, the parameters I'd set up for myself had kind of like gone. And thinking I was going back to work, it came to two weeks and I just realised, I was like, there is no way I'm going back to work. My vagina hurts, my boobs hurt, I've got a newborn baby, I've never done this before, this is this is absolutely bananas. So I contacted my, uh, my employers and just said, please could I take two more weeks? Please can I stretch it to a month? And of course, you know, they'd had babies before as well. So they, you know, I, I wonder, you know, again, in reflection, whether they thought I was naive at going back at two weeks because it was never a consideration to them. They were like, yep, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Take another two weeks off. So at four weeks postpartum, I went back to work and, and the role I was in, I was able to take Ozzy with me. So he would come with me and he would be in a sling or in his, you know, stroller and he was, and he was there with me, but it was still really, really hard going, trying to kind of breastfeed a four week old baby. I was nannying at the time and I had two boys that were, God, I can't remember how they were, they were, but they were in their, you know, early teens at that point in time. And they were good boys and I'd been with them since they were six months old and they were really just amazing. And they, you know, but I appreciated that life had changed for them we weren't going skateboarding we weren't going bike riding I had a newborn baby so I felt particularly torn because I was trying to care for Aussie and trying to be this role I'd been in before so I think again on reflection there was a, 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 a huge sense of naivety about kind of stepping into that kind of role um, but you know I did it and it went well I when I when I got pregnant I knew I was coming home when Aussie was around about three and a half months old so again antenatally I had kind of like packed up our stuff we'd had it shipped back to the UK and I knew there was going to be a transition so I also wonder whether that helped me with that postpartum period because I knew there was a I knew there was an end to it I knew where it was going to stop I knew that I was going to come home and have the support of my mum of my dad I was going to live with them for a while and I was going to be able to take that rest which I didn't take in those initial kind of few weeks so Although it was hard and it was stressful and emotional, 
But there's also elements of it that were really beautiful because, you know, I had that time still with the boys that I'd been nannying for for years and years and I had Aussie. Um, but then coming home at three and a half months po postpartum, we had just, you know, we had a great year of just doing nothing. <laughs> um, and that would have, that was only possible with the support of my mum and dad. That was only possible because I could live there and they, they would, you know, help us. But, you know, I think that's when Aussie and I really found, found our feet. But for the most part, again, I feel incredibly lucky that I was able to say that it was a good postpartum journey and that it was joyful hard really mm. hard you know getting up at two o'clock in the morning to, to you know bleary eyed every two well not even just two o'clock in the morning every two hours in those early days with no support was bloody hard yeah but yeah. we did it we, did <laughs> we it. got out the other side <laughs> and you mentioned kind of feeling like a sense of naivety but I, I just think I don't think there's any way to really know mm. what what it's going to be like so yeah, I just, I don't know. I think everybody to that extent would, would put themselves in that category maybe of being a bit naive because you just don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it sounds like, yeah, you had that you had that game plan and you knew that you just had to get through to yeah. that bit. Um, <laughs> is there anything in particular you think that your birth experience has taught you? You mentioned that you would kind of done some, your doula training during your pregnancy, is that right? Yeah, that's do you, right. So do you, do you feel like kind of, Aussie's birth has kind of taught you anything in addition to what you'd learned during that training? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, like there are, there is dealers out there who haven't had babies before and I, you know, they're, they're amazing and what they do. But for me personally, there was no amount of book learning that could have taught me the only way out is through. That mental game for me was, was the biggest learning lesson in kind of, you know, labor and birth. Um, yeah, to try to get through that, I, I, you know, to a certain extent, again, like I'd prepared for it and, you know, had done a good amount of kind of like meditating and gone to kundalini yoga and, you know, had set that practice up in my pregnancy. But there was no kind of, there was no experience like going through the real thing that has taught me, you know, what that journey looks like. So, yeah, for sure. And lastly, um, but not leastly, um, <laughs> If you had, I mean, obviously you do work with parents now all the time mm -hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of information, resources and advice I'm sure you give people. But if you could give somebody who is about to have a baby or is planning a pregnancy or is kind of looking down that road, if you could give somebody one piece of advice or tell them something that really, really helped you, what would you share with them? I would share with them, and this is what I share with clients in the interest of honesty, is that you have to prepare and having a baby is the biggest physical emotional you know event that you're going to go through it, it's massive you have to kind of prepare on so many levels physically you have to prepare yourself whether that's just walking or doing gentle yoga or doing what you can but you have to physically prepare um emotionally i think you have to be ready to ride the waves of uncertainty it is wild giving birth and there is no way that you can know what card you're going to have what card you're going to be dealt how your baby is going to be born so i think you have to have a certain amount of emotional preparation and, and what i mean is that you have to be able to relax you have to be able to release and you have to be able to let go of any expectations that you have of how your baby is going to be born and i think the other thing is you need to invest in your in your in your pregnancy and your labor and your birth you have to invest 
time, you have to invest energy and you have to invest financially, whatever that looks like, you know, of course, I'm going to say hire a doula, you know, <laughs> um, because I feel like, you know, that it, it, for me, even before having, uh, you know, you know, before stepping into kind of my doula role, I, I realized it was an important investment financially that I needed to make this was for my future, you know, and I didn't know how the birth, my birth was going to go. But I did know that, that, you know, by investing in the support of somebody who'd been through that kind of journey before was really, really important. And it was crucial. And they were going to bring things to the table that I just couldn't learn, you know, through books and podcasts. And, you know, I just couldn't learn those things. So yeah, I think just kind of, that would be my biggest piece of advice is to know that this is the biggest event you are probably going to go through. And that you, you know you have to prepare for that. You have mm-hmm. to give it time, and you have to give it energy. Yeah, it's funny about um, what you mentioned about investment because I I completely agree. I think it's it's kind of insane that we you know whether it's uh, a wedding or a birthday or a holiday. You know if it's like a once in a lifetime holiday many people will save up and they'll think okay well I'm going to spend three four thousand pounds on this because it's once in a lifetime it's amazing or you know I think the average UK wedding now is what twenty twenty thousand pounds twenty five thousand pounds yeah with you know all things considered and I just think that is fantastic but the chances of you walking away from your holiday or your wedding with PTSD are pretty low Mm. if you do absolutely no preparation for a birth the chances of you coming away feeling like you know, something didn't go the way that you were expecting or, you know, even just feeling incredibly frightened, that will stay with you. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I've kind of always, always been in that camp of if you're willing to invest in another big experience or life, life event, why aren't we... I don't know if it's maybe just because we do have the NHS and we take it so for granted with, you know, our healthcare and even to some extent our mental health, you know, we do have some provision for that. I don't know whether we maybe just take that for granted and think, well, that why should I pay for that? You know, that's something that I get for free on the NHS. So, um, but yeah, that's very good advice, and I would second that entirely. Then hire a doula. That was pretty much everything I wanted to ask. So that's great. But yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to share at all that? that we haven't talked about yet. I don't think so, other than just kind of saying thank you. It's um amazing opportunity to sit here, aside from kind of birth work and go through my birth story, because often I don't get to go through it. You know, I try not to kind of anecdotally take my birth story to birth, so it's really wonderful to be able to sit here and share this with you. And I think also just want to make a note of saying you know like I do um I do know that babies are born in lots of different ways and I feel incredibly grateful and blessed that I was able to have the birth um experience that I did have um but you know my my heart goes to people who 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 do not have the birth experiences that they hope and wish for you know um so yeah and I'm just grateful that I was able to be able to share this with you so thank you oh no you're so welcome so much Sarah for joining the Real Birth Podcast to tell us all about the birth of your son. Sarah can be found by going to her website which is doulasarah.co.uk and her Instagram is doula underscore Sarah. I highly recommend following her on Instagram because some of the images she shares are just absolutely beautiful, super powerful. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do head to wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review, subscribe, download, all those kind of things that keep me happy. Um, And you can also follow me on Instagram and I am Real Birth Podcast. And you can find me on my website as well, which is www.realbirth.co.uk. Thanks again for joining me and I can't wait to share another story with you next week.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.